Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox, and I'd like to welcome you to another episode of Popcorn and Compliance, a podcast where, with Jay Rosen, we take a look at movies from the compliance perspective. But before we get to our podcast, have you ever thought about starting your own podcast? You Would you like to explore some compliance topic? Well, I have founded the Compliance Podcast Network, and I'm looking for new podcasters. If you've wondered how you might start a podcast, please listen to our sponsor, One Stone Creative. If you are enjoying this show, you might enjoy hosting your own. As an expert in your field, you have skills, knowledge, and insight that can help you expand your practice, meet new people, and create amazing content to share with the world. In as little as two hours a week, you can dramatically change how you promote, fill, and position your business, and One Stone Creative can show you how. Learn more at onestonecreative.net. This episode of Popcorn and Compliance, Jay Rosen and I take a look at Spider-Man Far From Home. It continues the Spider-Man series by Sony. We take a look at the basic storyline, the plot. Jay, of course, has his inside Hollywood info, and I take a look at some leadership slash compliance lessons from the movie. I know you'll enjoy it. Popcorn and Compliance is produced by the Compliance Podcast Network and now a proud part of C-Suite Radio. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox, a compliance evangelist and the voice of compliance, back again with Jay Rose and Mr. Monitors for another episode of Popcorn and Compliance. Today, we take up Spider-Man Far From Home. So uh, for those in the uh, Marvel Cinematic Universe, another um, entree into that universe and another episode with our new favorite uh, friendly neighborhood Spider-Man. So, uh, Jay, you want to um, give us a synopsis and then uh, if you have any good inside Hollywood jazz scoop for us? Happy to do so. So uh, this movie, Spider-Man Far From Home, takes place eight months after the blip in 2024. Uh, We see familiar heroes Nick Fury and Maria Hill arrive in the aftermath of what is supposedly a violent cyclone that has destroyed a small Mexican village. The cyclone runs rampant again and in the form of an unidentified creature, but a mysterious third party, Quentin Beck arrives and dismantles it with fury and Hill's help. A week later, an air-based creature wrecks havoc in Morocco, but Beck, Fury, and Hill defeat it again. Peter's chief aim, Peter Parker that is, at the beginning movie start, is to get past the events that were shown in Avengers Endgame earlier this year and head off on a school trip to Europe. There he hopes to win over his classmate, who he's long had a crush on, the brainy MJ played by Zendaya. Peter's closest friend Ned, who is just hilarious and is played by Jacob Batalon, doesn't like this at all. He has this fantasy that he and Peter are going to be, quote, American bachelors in Europe, unquote. But on the flight over, Ned falls for the sweet straight-A student, Betty, and it turns out he's really just a 19th century gentleman and a teenage nerd's body. Ideally, that should leave Peter free to court MJ, though that's not how his summer shakes out. And sure enough, on the tour's first stop in Venice, an angry monster appears, Peter doesn't have all the correct Spider-Man gear with him, and he fails at vanquishing the creature. Another superhero, Mysterio, a.k.a. Quentin Beck, who we just spoke about, that's played by Jake Gyllenhaal, steps in and brings the beast to heel. 
Nick Fury, who happens to have set up shop in some nearby deserted palazzo, tries to recruit Peter into fighting future creatures, apparently. A bunch more are coming. Peter resists. He just wants to be a normal kid on a holiday. He didn't want to have to save the world this summer. Beck sympathizes with him and offers him some older bro advice. In Austria, Parka is provided with a new stealth suit and a new advanced AI named Edith, which is embedded in a pair of sunglasses. This is his final gift from his mentor, Tony Stark, and we learn that Edith is an acronym for Even Dead, I'm Still the Hero. From Venice, the school group treks to Prague, where the two teacher chaperones surprise the kids with tickets to a four-hour opera. Meanwhile, Peter is distracted not only by monsters, which means he has to keep dashing off and do that Spider-Man thing, but he's also taken by the lingering grief over the loss of his mentor, Tony Stark. It doesn't help that a hotshot kid from the school, Brad, keeps trying to move in on MJ. In one of the picture's final moments back in New York City, Peter finally gets to take MJ on a date, and as Spider-Man, he scoops her up and they swing through the city, a mix-up wonderland of traffic signals, construction scaffolding and lit up signs the night is young and so are they as they're making their own song as swinging lovers in new york city so the um storyline uh for me jay took second place to the uh sets and scenery uh i think most of the our fans of popcorn and compliance know about my love for the city of venice my wife and i go there every year so to see the city of Venice filmed and in its all its glory on the big screen, um, even before the uh, destruction was uh, very cool. And then, of course, uh, Vienna and Austria. Excuse me, uh, Vienna is in Austria, uh, for those of you who may not know that. But uh, Vienna and London uh, were equally cool, although I think there was a fair amount of destruction in London. Nevertheless, seeing the Thames on a clear day is one of the true glories of being on planet earth so if you have never seen the thames on a clear day you really should arrange for that to happen as spider-man does you hit one of the key points i wanted to raise jay uh jay which was the one line that stuck with me was i didn't want to save the world this summer um and uh that was pretty powerful the this movie iteration is a bit different uh, Peter Parker's a bit different in this one. Uh, certainly in the comic books, uh, he uh, was not the smartest guy uh, in the class. He was certainly smart, but uh, he wasn't the smartest guy. And I'm, I'm not quite sure. I don't think in the in the prior um, movie iterations was he either. So he's got a bit of the Wesley Crusher syndrome going on here. Uh, for those of you who like cross-cultural uh, metaphors and references, I just blew your mind with that one. Um from uh, TNG, uh, so that he, that weighs on him too. Uh, but you know, he just wants to be a kid, and uh, unfortunately, he's not just a kid. And uh, with we um, we often hear, with great power comes great responsibility. And I'm pretty sure it was Uncle Ben who said that the first time in the first Spider-Man movie. Although that's not the genesis of that line, it's certainly. Uh, he he said it, and Cliff Robertson, uh, if I could just add, was great in that role in the first movie with Toby Knight. Um, so uh, he just wants to be a kid. 
And uh, for any of our listeners out there who were teenagers once, a boy or a girl, you probably remember those awkward times. That, yeah, um, uh, the girl you like or the boy you like, uh, you really didn't quite know how to communicate that, and you were certainly being—you were certainly afraid of being rejected. So, in about ninety-nine point nine percent of the time, it turned out they felt the same about you, and they were just waiting for you to get off your duff and make a move. So, um, as as we saw in this, so um, very interesting. Uh, I really love the uh, the foreign travel component of this. The uh, the hostel they stayed in in Venice was just classic. Uh, that's exactly what happens when you walk in and there's water on the floor and, uh, you know, your first step is, well, that was the end of these shoes. So um, uh, a lot of that, um, I'm, of course, going to leave my rating till the end, and, and I guess I'm still mulling that over. Um, Nick Fury uh, was just great um, again. And um, Jake uh, Gyllenhaal as Mysterio, uh, I guess we should have a spoiler alert here, and we, we do have to talk about his role. He's a bad guy, and uh, he fools everybody. And when I say everybody, I mean everybody, including Nick Fury. Fury. So, uh, But it was a really ingenious way to bring in uh, a very cool group of disaffected tech workers. And you see, um, see that uh, very well in this. Uh, what I was wondering is how far away is what uh, Mysterio did? Uh, is that really science fiction anymore? I don't know. Um, use of uh, multiple drones to create a uh, image or illusion, uh, that may be something that's actually uh, closer to us than is um, readily known. So uh, the special effects, classic, great. The scenes in Venice were great. Um, uh, the actor, uh, is just a fabulous athlete. Spider-Man is a fabulous athlete. He's a gymnast and a dancer, and I think he was a diver and his body control is just, uh, incredible. So he, he really does have that component, uh, of the, of the movie and moves down as well as of course, all the FX and, and wire scenes and all of that, that he, uh, that Spider-Man traditionally does. So, um, uh, Jay, uh, rather than some, uh, maybe compliance lessons, what I wanted to explore with you, uh, was some leadership lessons for the compliance professional from Spider-Man. And I think, uh, kind of the first one is, uh, be yourself, um, be authentic and here, but I'm really of two minds here because, uh, Peter Parker has an idea in his head of who he is, and that's a teenager, geek freak, athletic freak, uh, brainiac freak. Um, and unfortunately, that's not really who he is. He's a superhero, and that he really needs to, to understand that and embrace that uh, as well. Um, he, he, uh, as um, Spider-Man, it's hard to say uh, because of the about the growth of this particular Spider-Man, because we've had now three iterations of Spider-Man in the movies. And um, so the the growth of Spider-Man is it fits and starts. Uh, but I do see growth, and, and obviously, you know, he does finally hook up with MJ at the end, so we all have to cheer that, and perhaps that's the growth he wanted the most. Uh, keep seeing yourself, 
serving others and seeing yourself in that role, and he he reluctantly takes that on. He does need a pretty um, big push from Nick Fury, so uh, but he finally gets there. He certainly uh, keeps uh, persevering, and uh, that is absolutely critical to every compliance practitioner, compliance professional, and chief compliance officer. Um, in addition to with great power comes great responsibility, uh, leadership does not come free. There are costs to leadership, and those costs may be you may not be everyone's best friend. You may have to sacrifice time, money, effort. Uh, you may struggle uh, kind of internally. You may lose sleep. But uh, as a CCO and as a compliance professional, not even a CCO, you know, this is the role in life we have chosen, Jay, and we have chosen to put ourselves out there daily in the fight against bribery and corruption uh, and now a wide variety of other things. It could be as broad a remit as, uh, you know, privacy concerns at Facebook or the antitrust uh, compliance that the Department of Justice has uh, recently released. So uh, you're going to have cost. Uh, you don't need to lead all the time in compliance. In fact, in many ways, when you can collaborate in compliance, you're going to be um, a much more effective compliance professional. And certainly uh, Spider-Man as part of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, um, most particularly in Endgame, I, I think uh, showed that. So uh, there's lots of different lessons uh, to learn um, about this uh, character. And um, for the compliance practitioner, uh, as we see Peter Parker grow, I think it's going to be interesting to see uh, kind of the direction he takes these and how much he embraces the Your thoughts? Great. So uh, as, um, as I usually do, uh, it's well documented that I'm a recovering screenwriter. Uh, I also used to work at 20th Century Fox and Warner Brothers. So the, the business angle of this always appears to me. And what I wanted to do is take a, a few minutes and take a look at what characters are actually in the Marvel Cinematic Universe and wh where does Spider-Man fit in? Because, um, you know, when it comes to superheroes, most audience goers don't really know or care about which studio owns Logan or the Guardians of the Galaxy or Wonder Woman, they're just all good movies. But for those who are curious about what who, what's allowed to happen, where and when, understanding the var various character rights issues is key. This is especially important when it comes down to Spider-Man, as the character is currently being shared by three different corporate entities. Sony Pictures, which released the movies, Marvel Studios, which owns the rights, and then Disney, which is the owner of Marvel. So before Iron Man, Marvel was simply in the business of helping to produce movies and selling off character rights. Marvel would license the rights to its most valuable characters for a fee, like Spider-Man went to Sony and X-Men went to Fox. And those studios would pay for, distribute, and reap the box office returns. But in the mid-2000s, Marvel created Marvel Studios and decided that they wanted to have more creative control over its superhero movies. The problem here was that they had already sold licenses to the most famous characters. Sony, as I said, has Spider-Man, Fox had X-Man and the Fantastic Four, and as long as the studios continued to pay licensing fees to produce movies, Marvel couldn't have them back. 
So the difference between a Marvel movie and a Marvel Studios movie is that the former may be owned and operated by a completely different studio and is 100% not connected to the Marvel character universe. Studios like Fox have the licenses to do pretty much whatever they want to these diverse franchises, meaning that they're able to make a variety of films and, off, and um, you know offshoots such as Logan, Deadpool, uh, upcoming new mutants. Sony Pictures, meanwhile, has only one major superhero to license, which is Spider-Man. The studio very publicly rebooted the property, as you said, Tom, in 2012 with Amazing Spider-Man and its sequel, Amazing Spider-Man 2. But neither film really fared well enough with critics or fans. So what happened, and this is the unprecedented thing, is Amy Pascal, who used to be head of production at Sony and is now the producer of the Spider-Man series, uh, was able to strike a deal with Marvel Studios' Kevin Feige and to share the character of Spider-Man. After long discussions and negotiations, they decided to reboot Spider-Man Homecoming. And this now is 100% financed by Sony. They get the profits, but Marvel Studios gets to have quality control over the character and to use him creatively in the Marvel character universe. So uh, Tom Holland's Peter Parker is set and has already been in a number of MCU movies, including the Avengers, and uh, should be seen in upcoming movies such as Doctor Strange. Um, the current complicated deal that was struck between Marvel, Sony, and Disney is at present only for Spider-Man Homecoming. It's sequel, sequel war, and two subsequent Avenger movies. If all goes well, they'll come back to the table and renegotiate to keep this going, or it's possible that Sony says we'll take it from here. Marvel Studios can come aboard as a partner and does not start to develop these other spin-off movies, but as of right now, the only films that are officially part of the MCU canon are the ones involving Tom Holland as Peter Parker. So it might sound a little bit complicated, but in terms of... Uh, what Marvel was able to do was when they were a standalone company, a comic book company, they were pretty much in the business of selling off rights. And they didn't care if they sold off, you know, rights to a large studio or to some small little studio like New Line or any of the other indies that were out there. So for what Kevin Feige and the MCU has done, it's really pretty much unprecedented for them to go back out reacquire all the rights but then after doing that planning out you know from since 2008 with Iron Man to getting to this point 10 years later there's been specific storylines and plot lines and elements that they followed so it'll be interesting going forward to see what Marvel does with the characters now that they've reacquired from uh, Fox, which includes uh, X-Men and the Fantastic Four. And we've been told that it's going to be at least two years away before they end up in the MCU. So uh, hopefully that was of interest to some of you, to me, from the production angle and from the business angle. It's, uh, it's very interesting. So, Jay, do you really have any thoughts about the storyline of this movie? Um, you know, I think it pretty much follows the standard superhero thing there's lots of set pieces there's lots of cg um you know i kept trying to figure out was this really um you know spider-man the actor doing the stunts 
or was it, uh, you know, CG and special effects? I, uh, to that point, I think I would have liked a little more of that high school stuff. Uh, I see this as a real fluffy kind of popcorn summer movie. And I think the awkwardness between Peter and MJ and the stuff with Ned really just cracked me up. So I would have even gone uh, lower on the CGI and the battles and more just to really Spike Spider-Man is just so likable here. And I think anyone can relate to the dilemma he has that he's has these responsibilities, but Hey, he's just a kid. And then he's also got to deal with uh happy having a relationship with aunt may. So I would go with more of the, uh, the, the less cinematic and more of the kind of dramatic movie stuff, both, you know, funny and serious. But I think Peter and MJ and the characters around him are worth exploring and spending even more time with. So I, I think it augurs well for another sequel. So I certainly agree, uh, on another sequel. They, they set that up at the end of the, uh, the movie where uh, Spider-Man is outed by the uh, editor-in-chief of the Daily Bugle, I uh, remember sitting there wishing that the editor was in this movie because uh, in the comics, Peter Parker is a photographer working for the Daily Bugle, and the editor is continually asking for photographs of Spider-Man, and of course Peter Parker can't give him any photographs because um, back then they didn't do self-photographs, they didn't do selfies. Uh, Maybe that changes in 2019, uh, but the 1960s technologies really didn't promote selfies too much. Certainly, no action selfies. Um, so uh, uh, I was I was very uh, pleased to see that, um, particularly uh, the a- actor playing uh, the editor. So um, you know, light and fluffy. Uh, certainly, um, lots of uh, interesting. Set pieces, as you said, I, I can't emphasize the the geographic setting enough. Um, I never got to go to uh, Europe as a teenager, so I'm not quite sure what the teenage experience is. But the first time I went uh, after law school and bummed around the uh, for about three months, uh, hanging out at hostels and camps and things, it was a great experience. So, uh, you know, kudos uh, for this. Uh, there was a little discontinuity with the blip. Uh, that they talked about, I thought, very, very well in the opening scene where um, Peter's uh, high school uh, had a news report on the blip and how unfair it was because those who came back uh, had to retake their uh, junior year over again, although they were uh, halfway through the year when they got blipped. So, uh, you know, the the things that are important to a teenager uh, sometimes seem less important um, when upon retrospection. Nevertheless, uh, a lot of fun, uh, fluffy, um, and I guess we can go to our popcorn rating now, Jay. So uh, I'm happy to report that Spider-Man Homecoming is the ultimate popcorn movie, and uh, under the Jay Rosen rating scale, I give it one overflowing full bucket of popcorn. Well, uh, Jay, I'm not quite that far along, and... um, I'm going to have to give it a uh, stale three-quarter bucket. Uh, I thought uh, they could have done better uh, uh, on the movie, and uh, it just uh, it, with it, with the exception of a few lines and the and the set the scenery, I didn't uh, really think it was that great. So, uh, but 
you know, for popcorn and fluff, it was there. So that's uh, kind of how I saw it, Jay. You want to close this out? Sure. For Tom Fox, the compliance evangelist and owner of a three-quarter stale bucket of popcorn, and Jay Rosen, Mr. Monitor, who believes that Spider-Man Homecoming is an overflowing flu bucket of popcorn, we thank you for joining us on Popcorn and Compliance. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox again. I'd like to thank you for listening to this episode of Popcorn and Compliance. I certainly hope you enjoyed Jay's recitation of the facts and his Inside Hollywood uh, section. I found this uh, really interesting in terms of uh, some of the lessons for compliance practitioners, both in leadership and in compliance. I hope they will provide a thought-provoking experience for you as well. If you have any questions, you can reach Jay at jrosen at affiliatedmonitors.com. I'm available at tfox at tfoxlaw.com. I hope you'll join Jay and I again for another episode of Popcorn and Compliance. Popcorn and Compliance is a production of the Compliance Podcast Network and a member of C-Suite Radio. Thanks again. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.